0: Joining me now is uh, writer and broadcaster Colin Babb, who's uh, written a couple of really excellent books, uh, one of which just caught my eye recently. Uh, It's called 1973 and Me. So I thought let's get in touch with the man himself and uh, let's talk about it. So uh, welcome to 98.0, Colin Babb. Thank you. It's
1: great to be here, as they all say, but I really mean it.
0: (laughs) So tell us a bit about yourself, Colin, uh, writer and broadcaster. Um, Flesh that out if you could.
1: Yeah, uh, well, I was born in East London, brought up in South London mainly, and then when I left school, I managed to find myself in various parts of the country for one reason or the other, and uh, work and travel abroad for various other reasons, including uh, Southeast Asia. Um, My mother's from Guyana, my father's from Barbados, and I've done quite a few things over the years. I've worked in the toilet end of the music industry, Um, I've worked as a teacher, I've worked as a conference organiser and I worked for the BBC in various capacities, capacities even, for many, many years. Uh, Yeah, I've written chapters in other people's books and I've worked as a journalist and a photographer, but I'm trying to sort of get out there and write my own books. Um, And I've written three and uh, I guess we'll talk about the most recent one, 1973 and Me. Um, A big shout out to Hansip Publications who have kindly published all of my books and they've been very, very supportive. And uh, Hansip was set up in 1970 by Arif Ali from Guyana. And uh, yeah, it's a fantastic uh, publications organization.
0: I should add for uh, clarity, uh, many of our listeners will know, but I'm also for, of Guyanese heritage. So I've got a particular interest in this subject and this book. So. 1973, a big year. So what is the significance for you personally about 1973 that made you write this book?
1: Well, um, it derives a little bit from my last book that gave the crowd plenty of fun, which is mainly about the connection between the West Indian community and West Indian cricket, you know, tracking that history from the Second World War onwards. But one of the things I talked about briefly in the book was how one tour, like the 1973 West Indian tour of England, uh, resonated with me because that was the first tour that I can remember watching and really getting involved with and supporting the West Indies. And it was very important for me because through uh, the guise of television, I was able to make a connection with cricket. So 73 was important for that. And I decided to sort of explore that tour in detail. And as I was doing that, I discovered there were so many other things happening in my life. Uh, Moving to a relatively new flat, new primary school, making new friends, the formation of CARICOM, which I guess is best described as the uh, Caribbean version of the EU. Um, Britain joined a common market. Guyana had uh, another post-independent election, which was fraught with all sorts of allegations of corruption, which I won't go into. Uh, Anybody who's Guyanese is tuning in will know the turbulent history of politics there um so there were so many other things happening that year plus the fact my team Leeds United lost to Sunderland in the most dramatic of FA Cup finals um so I talk about that and yeah so from the tour all sorts of other ideas mushroomed in my head and they exploded I got them down on paper I uh, wrote to publishing companies and luckily one replied back positively so, yeah, the tour is, is, is the spine of what runs through the book. But it's also about my experiences living in South London at the time and um, my family and friends and everybody else who surrounded me uh, and also other people's experiences. It's not just about me. It's about other people, friends, acquaintances and relatively famous people, including cricketers who played for the West Indies and England during that tour.
0: I remember that 73 FA Cup final, uh, the days when the Cup final was a massive thing, and my abiding memory of that was at the final whistle, the Sunderland manager sort of doing a kind of a limping Bob
1: Stoker, yeah.
0: Bob Stoker, that's right, in his red trousers and his trilby and his pork pie hat running to the home end.
1: uh, That that match still has deep memories for both sets of supporters. Uh, You know, I even know somebody who's a Sunderland fan who tells me even now Colin get over it you know (laughs) (laughs) come on Colin get over it it was 1973 okay (laughs) um but yeah there were so many things happening that year and yes football plays a big part in the book Uh, in a nostalgic way but initially what I try and say in the book is that I really was a football fan and was converted to also liking cricket and supporting cricket by watching it on tv the John play league If you remember that, anybody of a certain age will remember that. Um, Free cricket, free to air every Sunday. And you could watch players from around the world playing for the counties. And I discovered West Indian players through the John Player League playing for their counties on BBC Two on a Sunday. So there was all that going on. And also living in a Caribbean community and a Caribbean household where we talked about cricket with intensity, especially when... We had lots of male visitors from all around the Caribbean. Um, You know, rum would be drunk, dominoes, playing dominoes, eating channa, any guy, feed guy, I need you to understand that. Uh, You know, I I would be serving drinks from our uh, very uh, antiquated trolley with gold trimmings, uh, the pineapple ice bucket holder. uh, You know, and my reward was to get some ginger ale in a glass. That was my reward. And also I, I could play the music as well. So yeah, yeah. I've got great memories of those gatherings in our tiny flat and um, politics would be discussed uh, with, with, in a ferocious way. Um, you know, when Guyanese get together and talk about politics, particularly if they support one party or the other or they come from one particular ethnic background against another, it gets very fiery. So, yeah, there was all that going on. So I felt a strong connection with Guyana, Barbados and the Caribbean through my family, but also through cricket because I didn't manage to get to the Caribbean until the late 70s, and then I've been going there regularly ever since. But at that time, cricket was my way of connecting with what my family called back home.
0: You're stirring memories of me about, so anytime uh, West Indians get together, whether they're from whatever island or whatever else, the, the three things that knit that conversation are cricket, music, politics, and maybe some dominoes as well thrown in, <laughs> <laughs>
1: with a bit of a bit of rum thrown in. And yeah. also, uh, one of, one of the big big things cricket did for me was for me to find a way of using cricket to explain Guyana, because many people um, don't quite get Guyana. You know where it is, why they speak English, why do they play cricket? I mean, I'm always having to explain this to. To different types of people, not just English people or British people, but to people from Africa, people from Asia, people from all around the world, wherever I go. I'm always trying to answer that question why do people from South America play cricket? And, you know, cricket was great for that because people could see Rahan Kanai, Roy Fredericks, Clive Lloyd, Alvin Kalicharan, Steve Kamach, people like that playing for the West Indies. And I could say, well, they're Guyanese because A, B, and C. Um, another thing 1973 did, which was really important, um, was Rahan Kanai was the captain of that team. Rahan Kanai is Indo Caribbean ancestry uh, from Berbice in Guyana. So people were able to see a diverse team, people from around the region, from different races and backgrounds, coming together, working together, and you know non-caribbean people could see that the caribbean is made up of different types of people and i thought cricket did that really well and i was able to point at cricket and the cricket team to explain that and the 73 team was a very diverse team with people from different backgrounds in the region ethnically and looking back at that now i didn't realize it as much at the time but looking back that was a strong attraction to me
0: so that 73 team <clears throat> was the first team it came to England and won 2-0 and it was the first time I think in five years that the West Indies had won a test series and I think one of the, the the attractions of reading your book and I think this book it's not just for cricket lovers I think anyone that's sort of interested in culture and just a bit of nostalgia and all the rest of it and even TV but we'll talk about that in a minute but it was the first time we saw the green shoots of that West Indies dominance that went on uh, in the years to come and the decades to come really, probably for the next um, 20 years, I suppose you'd probably say from then, yeah. but, um, but that was the, that was the first time we saw this new brand of West Indian cricket.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the sort of green shoots of recovery, you might say yeah. um, after not winning a test series since 68. So yeah, f- and people, not people, sorry. Uh, if you look at the history, when the West Indies came to England in 69 on the previous tour, they got beaten. So they hadn't won in England for a while. And also before they came to England, they had they were beaten at home by Australia. So, you know, they were going through a period of drawing or losing a lot of test matches. So yeah, th- this tour was quite important. And I think it's been missed out and ignored, and not much has been written about this tour. It's almost the, the tour of mystery. People talk a lot about 76 and the grovel tour and the the drought and what Tony Gregg said and how many runs with Richard scored and how wonderful holding bold during that tour, particularly at the Oval. But the tour before in 73 has been completely ignored. And, you know, I'm not happy about that because so many things happened during that tour, packed with incident on and off the field, which, which you know, inspired me to write about it and push it out there.
0: That's right. Um, I'm keen to talk about the effect that West Indian cricket, particularly then, and I, I felt this a little bit later on, 1980 was the first time I went to a Test match, um, funnily enough, at the Oval, uh, West Indi- England versus the West Indies. But
1: Yes, I remember what, that tour.
0: Yeah, um, the effect, the social effect that that had. So that was the first time I really felt my kind of heritage and, um, you know, where I, my family had come from. And the effect that the West Indies success had, and one of the quirkier things, I think, is the fact that people don't realise that cricket is the only thing that all of those, apart from Caricom maybe, that's that's different. But mm-hmm. Jamaicans don't mix with Guyanese. Barbadians don't mix with Antiguans. It's not until they came to England that all of a sudden these little Absolutely. communities are mixing together, and then they come together under this whole West Indies cricket
1: umbrella. Absolutely. I mean... In a sense, you've nailed it. It's something which has been completely uh, ignored by a lot of people who observe and look at West Indian cricket. Um, is that people who came to this country from different parts of the Caribbean didn't often know each other. Um, I know my family, my Guyanese family, who, who came to England in the 60s mainly, I know one or two of them have said to me, or said to me years and years ago, oh, the first time I met a Jamaican was in England. I, and yeah. I've heard that so many times over the years. I've met Jamaicans who'd never met a Guyanese until they came to England. I've met St. Met Lucians who'd never come across a Trinidadian until they came to England. So yeah, people came from different parts of the Caribbean, came to England, 50s, 60s and 70s mainly, and met people from other islands uh, when they came here. And Sam Selvon, the writer from Trinidad, talks about that. And I took one of his quotes and put it in my last book. He said, That he became a West Indian when he came to England, when he mixed with other people here and realized that he was part of a pan Caribbean identity. Now, the thing is, of course, you know, there is a pan Caribbean identity, but you know, every island has a distinct political, cultural uh, history, um, very distinct. And many of these countries by the 73 tour were independent, certainly Guyana, Barbados. Uh, Trinidad and Jamaica were all independent nations with their own flags in the 60s. So, you know, there was a big, big difference. And what cricket did was it was for the five days of a test match, <laughs> most mm-hmm. West Indians could put their differences aside and support one team. All right, there were always quibbles, you know, why are they too meet Trinidadians in the team? Why is he <laughs> playing? Why is he not playing? You know, I know one of my uh, father's friends, God bless him, once said, you know, if, if all 11 are the best players in the Caribbean are, are Bajans, just pick them. If you have 11 Bajans in the side, so what? Just pick the best. So there's always arguments about, you know, who should be in the team and who should not. Then, of course, there's the racial dynamics of this, particularly in Trinidad and Guyana, as to, well, why aren't there more Indo-Caribbean players in the team? Uh, you know, so the, the race and region and political battles around selection will always be there. And certainly I remember that when I was growing up, but usually when the team was doing well, you didn't hear so much of that. And also um, one of the things that I, I, just, I actually discussed this point with another writer, uh, Clayton Goodwin, and he, he alerted me to this, that the difference is, is that in the Caribbean, certainly I only thought about this while I was writing the book, in the Caribbean, if you go to Port of Spain, most of the crowd will be Trinidadians. You would think, uh, Georgetown, most of the crowd will be uh, uh, Guyanese. All right, Kingston in Jamaica, most of the supporters in Sabina Park would be Tr- uh, Jamaicans. But in England, it was very different. You know, you go to heading the Old Trafford, the Oval, Edge Baston, and the crowd would be from all over the Caribbean. Yeah, in you know every every island was represented. I, you know, I, I met a couple of the solutions some years ago when I did research for my last book. And they told me that even though none of their players got into the team, they still supported the West Indies. Same with Grenadians, Vincentians, from St. Vincent. So essentially, the team was a four-territory team, Guyana, Trinidad, uh, 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 Jamaica, and Barbados. Essentially, that was what the team was. But things changed in the 70s. Uh, you had Andy Roberts with Richard from Antigua. So the team became a bit more pan-Caribbean as the years rolled on, but essentially it was a four territory team. Uh, but still it meant something to people from Grenada, St Vincent, Dominica, Antigua, who didn't have any representation. They still supported the team because it represented them. There was a sense of unity there. And it was a sense of West Indians coming together, doing well, beating the old, the old colonial power you might describe England as. Um, but also it was a sense of release of frustration you know we're going getting a i don't want to get too colloquial but we're getting our backsides here kicked in england difficulties with employment difficulties in the education system difficulties with housing difficulties and frustrations with uh, the various police forces but yet we could still do well on the cricket pitch and also have a great day out because Many people, Caribbean people who went to cricket in England to support the team weren't cricket fans. They, were particularly, they weren't particularly uh, passionate about the game, but it was a day out. It was a day to meet people from your friends. You bring your chicken, you bring your drink. You, you, I mean, I, I remember going to matches where people were selling records outside the ground, <laughs> fine, vinyl records. Yeah, literally. And, and people were selling little um, plastic tubs of rum in the ground. Yeah. You know, so it was a it was almost a, a marketplace, you know, and there was so much noise, whether the it cricket was, was exciting mean... or not. You know, it was just a bedlam. It was basically a, these cricket rounds cricket grounds were a, a site of Caribbean camaraderie, celebration. Um Very rare. There was very you name me another place where thousands of West Indians could get together in an outdoor venue. Yeah, you could talk about carnivals, but I think cricket yeah. was there before carnival. Yeah, Look right. at 1963, <clears throat> 1966, you see these images of West Indians running onto the pitch, um, celebrating West Indian success. So I would argue, and I argue in the book, that cricket was there before carnival in bringing West Indian people together in an outdoor venue.
0: It's true. I mean, I can remember going to uh, test matches when I was young, particularly the Oval, um, mm-hmm. but it wasn't alone, as you said, there are other day. but it was such uh and, and i've heard west indies players being interviewed saying that they were it was like playing home test matches even yeah, more yeah. so because you had this feeling of togetherness
1: yeah there's more togetherness here than you know in the caribbean say for example you go to yeah. barbados and a particular Beijing player hasn't been picked for the team some of the locals might not be happy with that and, and you get cat calls also in guyana or trinidad if for example some of the Indo-Caribbean population feel that some of their players have not been selected. You know of the stories of Indo-Caribbean people in the Caribbean supporting the opposition, especially if it's India on tour in Trinidad and Guyana. But here, I didn't get that sense for any elements of the community that they did not want to support the team. It was almost as if we became more West Indian by being in Britain than being in the Caribbean. And I think that's what cricket meant. It was a unifying force. Um, regardless of what you thought about the makeup of the team, generally, generally. And I think
0: for West Indians in the UK at the time, um, always sports mad. I mean, you can go into any bar anywhere in the Caribbean or even Mm. bars over here, which are full of Caribbean people and talk about any kind of sport and you'll get that passion Mm. whatever else. But I think people felt more comfortable going to a cricket ground than maybe a football ground, for example, in the 70s or 80s.
1: Yeah, it's interesting you say that because... This is something which I picked up when I was younger, which which I started to think about more now, um, particularly in the last three to five years when race and sport in Britain's been discussed quite heavily, is that I remember older Caribbean people say, why do you like football? That's an Englishman's sport. Cricket is our sport. So even then there were pressures not to particularly like football because that's not our game. We support cricket, that's our game. That's completely been flipped over, whereas, The grandchildren of people who came here in the 50s and 60s from the Caribbean say football is their game. Cricket's not our game. We don't get that. That's the game of our grandparents. So it's completely flipped. So the discussions about race and sport and that connectivity isn't just to do with, you know, lack of access. I think it's to do with how generations change and see themselves. For example, you know, if you're uh, born here and you have Caribbean roots, it's more likely that your parents are born here it's your grandparents that are caribbean not only that it's more likely that you have one of your parents is non-caribbean because many caribbean people who came here had relationships and partnerships and married people who are non-caribbean in in a sense that's what caribbean people are like we're very integrationist in that way so it's more likely that you know it's only one grandparent is who's caribbean so that connection with the region has gone and i think that's why when you look on the television or you go to matches when the West Indies are here on tour, there are less West Indians at the grounds because from my experience and what I write about in my book, that connection with West Indian cricket was to do with people who came here or came here as young, young children or were born here just after parents arrived, who used cricket as a way of connecting back with home. It was almost a link with back home. I don't see that, with people who are 20 years or under necessarily, who probably have not been to the Caribbean, are disinterested and perhaps make that link with the Caribbean through music or food, kind of uh, not superficial reasons, not not superficial connections, but they're they're not brought up in the sense of listening to their families, arguing about politics back home, talking about cricket intensely. You know, my mother has been here since the sixties. So is my father and so many of my family. But they talk about home, Guyana's home, Barbados is home. When I was a little girl back home. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, that, you know, regardless of how many times they've been back to the Caribbean, home is not here. Whereas for people born here in the last 20 years, for example, home is here, it's here, right here, whether it's Leeds, London, Manchester, Birmingham. So I think that's the difference. So when the West Indies come here to tour, it means absolutely nothing to them, less than zero. It's irrelevant. Whereas for us, it was hooray, the West yeah. Indians are here. Let's watch it all day on television. Let's <laughs> go to the grounds. And regardless of whether we like cricket or not. And also for me personally, I went with West Indian friends and English friends. We'd go together, we'd support our teams, we'd run on the pitch if we could, we'd have banter, banter, the B word, with each other. But it wasn't the malicious. We just wanted to get one over each other. You know, it was kind of we beat you at Lord's. I hope we give you a a hard time at the Oval, you know, it was, it was more of a, um, it was less political in that sense, but more political in the wider sense where we wanted to do well because we wanted to hit back at the forces in this country who were, who we thought were keeping us down. But me personally, uh, and for other people I know, and some of the cricketers I've spoken to, it wasn't just about England. They wanted to be everybody. I wanted the West Indies to be everyone, everybody. It wasn't just about England. I wanted the West Indies to be Australia, probably even more. Uh, India, um, I had Indian friends who I wanted to get won over by the West Indies beating them, and that's in the book. So I used cricket politically in that way to try and wipe out people that I knew, friends and acquaintances. So, yeah, look what we did to you at the Oval. Just be quiet. Yeah. Step back. We beat you.
0: let to get a bit wider, right? 1973, there's some excellent stuff in the book. Yeah. Um, I quite like the culture. As I said before, this is a book for everyone to read. It's not just for cricket fans. Uh, Two other things that happened in 1973, which uh, I'd like to talk about for a sec. Um, Number one is the arrival in the Bab household of a Phillips colour television.
1: And Mm, secondly,
0: the first visit to the United Kingdom uh, by Bob Marley. Mm. Uh, On the face of it, innocuous things, but as you're about to tell me, pretty seismic events when looked at from another way.
1: Yeah, um, certainly the TV. I mean, I got um, a professor, Professor Joe Moran, who writes and talks a lot about uh, the culture of TV throughout the ages in Britain to help me with this. Um, Television plays a huge role in this book because if it wasn't for TV, I, I probably wouldn't be as much of a cricket fan. I discovered cricket by watching it free to air which is uh, you know, a bit of a mystery for many people now mm. on the BBC, free cricket, free test cricket, the John play league, Gillette cup finals, which to me were just like the FA cup final in terms of their importance. So yeah. Yeah. If it wasn't for television, I wouldn't have made that connection with various sports. And I write about in the book about how TV and, was so important for me growing up, watching Eurovision song contests, <laughs> Miss World contests, where we all had something to say about that in the house, you know, a Seaside special, um, all these different programs. Iron inside, it was amazing. Iron Side, it's a knockout. Yeah, we loved all that. And how that culture of sitting around the TV as a family, watching it together, was important to me growing up, how that feeds in or fed in. my connection with with sport but when the color tv arrived it was amazing um the ball was red the grass was green the sun was yellow i discovered this by watching color tv (laughs) i mean tell that to the children of today i mean this is a seismic event yeah and i believe although my dad hasn't confirmed this but i suspect that tv was bought specifically to coincide with the tour the first match at the oval we watched on black and white i remember the tv coming in i think for the second test or the third test so it arrived before edgebaston or just before lords and it made a big difference it was amazing um to, to, to the point where i think we had our tv color tv ahead of the jamaican family who lived underneath us and i think if i remember rightly they came upstairs to, to gaze at this uh uh, wonderful piece of technology, you know. But they soon got their colour TV, not long afterwards. But yeah, it was amazing. I mean, the, the whole thing about watching th- TV in colour really helped me appreciate uh, everything that I was watching. And television plays a key role. And uh, the, the history of TV and watching it together as a family and watching uh, black people on TV, which was—I don't want to give too much away—in the book. But watching TV and seeing a black person on television was quite unusual. To the point that um, I remember very clearly that if we were watching a television program like Z Cars, for example, um, which is a cop show, if you, some of you might remember that, um, and a black person came into the cafe where the coppers used to drink, it would cause pandemonium in the house. So <laughs> something would, literally people would be ringing each other up on the phone the telephone <laughs> to say did you see that black guy on tv and we'd literally watch the credits at the end and try and work out where he was from by his surname <laughs> so if it was i don't know if his if his surname uh, i don't know sword. T- yeah oh yeah oh some guy needs <laughs> yeah some people say yeah man some berbician okay and then somebody would <laughs> say uh okay if his name is Shillingford, he's from dominica for certain <laughs> so, yeah, we, we try and work out the names of where these people came from. So, yeah, it was quite unusual. Uh, I remember Mark, who was a character in Ironside, pushed Ironside in his That's wheelchair. Right.
0: With his I ride. Think,
1: Exactly. I mean, that, on a Saturday night, we'd wait to see Mark arrive on screen. It was huge. So that kind of um, uh, expectancy, waiting for something to happen, and if a black person appeared on TV, it was it was amazing. I mean, that that plays into... The appreciation of the West Indian team because here is a team representing the Caribbean in very diverse ways. Um, you know these uh, robust, playing in a very robust stylistic fashion, beating everybody. I mean that image was very strong, very strong for, for, for me and many others. um I, I, can't, I can't really explain how strong that was.
0: The journey of black people on TV is quite an interesting one <clears throat> and probably we could devote another chat completely to that but yeah. From the days you're talking about, I think the the main figures you saw were were Rudolph Walker, um, who's now Mm, in his name, Patrick Truman. But he was uh, Love Thy Neighbour in those days. Um, Cy Grant, who probably Mm. not many people know, but would remember Captain Scarlet. He did the voice of Colonel Green, who was sat up on um, Space Cloud or whatever that thing was called, Mm. spectrum. He was Guyanese, by the way. That's right. That's right. And the combination of... Guyanese for me on TV was the arrival of Desmond's in the 80s oh
1: yes (laughs) a bit later I mean I talk about Empire Road and the Fosters which is a bit Mm -hmm. earlier that's as well exactly Um, I think in a sense we talk it we're talking about cricket but in a sense anything that represented Guyanese culture that arrived on the TV we celebrated in fact anything that represented Caribbean culture um, for example, um, I'm trying to think of other examples. There was a show, um, uh, do you remember Star Trek? Yeah. Um, I don't know why I said, do you, do you remember Star Trek? Uh, there was a character in Star Trek whose name escapes me now. I, I've written about it. She was the... that um, ...black lady. Yeah, yes, that's Lieutenant it. Lieutenant Uhuru. Yeah, yeah. I remember we used to watch her uh, and it was quite sensational. She was, you know, quite elegant. She, she was quite striking and she wore that fantastic dress. And uh, yeah, when she appeared on television, I I think the traffic stopped outside, you know.
0: First interracial Uh, kiss on TV as well, her and Captain Kirk. Yeah, with Captain
1: Kirk, yeah. I mean, these moments were very very important. So I do write about that, the idea of how families got together to watch TV at the time and how that was so important with, you know, how I partly discovered the outside world because I lived in a very uh, sealed Caribbean environment in the house. everything was caribbean we ate caribbean food i didn't eat what we called english food in the house at all to the point when during the summer holidays i would um ask my great grandmother who lived with us for a while for a long while oh can we have some english food you know and you make some chips or burgers it's great <laughs> we can eat english food instead of cassava sweet potato um soup uh, or, or all the different things that we used to eat in-house rice these chicken Stop tongue, it. you're chicken
0: making me hungry <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and at christmas without fail garlic pork right pepper pot <laughs> and your pepper pot and yeah 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 and, and everything else is sorrel and everything yeah yeah i kind of try and re- recreate that because i i can make garlic pork so i try and <laughs> recreate that in my uh in my uh, caribbean british balkan <laughs> household um, I try and recreate that. But, yeah, I remember it was always a big thing. Oh, where are we going to find the caserip for the pepper pot? Who's going to buy it? Where, which yeah. shop are we going to go to? It was an annual event, you know. So I talk about these um, developments in my in the way I was brought up with, with humour and seriousness. It's a mixture. The book is partly serious, uh, partly humorous, humorous, even, with elements of history and, you know, social observation thrown in, all sorts of different angles I, I come at. Well, there we go. So we've got the book. I'm
0: just holding it up. 1973 and Me, absolutely superb and entertaining read. So uh, where can people get hold of a copy of this?
1: Well, at the moment, it's sold out in bookshops. Uh, I think all the online outlets are sold out as well. But you can still get it directly from me, the author, Colin Babb at ColinBabbAuthor.com C-O-L-I-N-B-A-B-B-A-U-T-H-O-R.com Thank you very much. Even though I went to comprehensive school, I can still spell.
0: And you'll personalise
1: it if people are, are interested in that? Yeah, yeah, I'll sign it. I Of course, there'll be a... Which makes will make the book, you know, worth thousands of pounds. In years <laughs> to come. Uh, also, I just want to talk about a couple of things. I, I yeah. managed to get quite a few uh, people who are who were actually involved in the tour, to speak to me. I interviewed lots and lots of people. In fact, the bulk of the book is made up of, oh, so many, 40 to 50 to 60 people I interviewed. Um, And I listened to lots and lots of tapes for about hours upon hours upon hours and upon hours. And I transcribed all that stuff and pulled out the best bits and put it in the book. So Dickie Bird's I had a chat with, Um, Van Bernholder Alvin Kalichran Dennis Amos Frank Hayes uh, Boris Foster um, uh, A colleague of mine Reza Abazali interviewed Bernard Julian in Trinidad for me Um, yeah Derek Murray yeah various people who were actually at the match I managed to find some spectators who were there did a bit of a call out on social media Uh, so I managed to find people who had great memories of that so yeah it, was, yeah, it was kind of interesting that I managed to convince people to come forward. I, I used my power of persuasion and it worked out uh, and, and they really helped out. And fingers crossed, maybe towards the end of the year or sooner, we'll have a, a revised and updated version of the book with more people making contributions. Uh, and also, I also discovered that some people are who I wanted to get involved in the book didn't manage to get to me in time. And by the time they got to me, the book was at the printers. But I promised them that I would get them involved. And so there are a few people, uh former West Indian players, one or two who I can't name now, who are <laughs> involved in the new and improved version, hopefully out in six, seven, eight months or sooner.
0: Well, we'll keep closed tabs on that and um we'll get you back when that new one comes out and we can. Uh... Get some yeah. updated comments and uh, you can reveal all to an adoring yeah. cricket literary public. Yeah, um, Colin's yeah. been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. and um, Thank you. Yeah, I think first of many chats uh, because there's, there's yeah. so much that we could explore. Um, but yeah. in the meantime, I'll 1973 and Me is out. Get to Colin's website, ColinWebAuthor.com. Oh, uh, ColinBabAuthor.com. Oh,
1: Colin Babb, yeah. yes. Oh, even I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> ColinBabbAuthor.com. That's relentless publicity, isn't it? I was on Test Match Special. Well, I've been on TMS a few times, and uh, I was told, I think by Simon Mann, that he'd never had an author who p- plugged his book with as much enthusiasm as me. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and on, on social
0: media, you're, you're active on Twitter, you mentioned.
1: Yeah, yeah. ColinBabb1973, that's Twitter. Colin Babb author on Instagram.
0: Yeah. Fabulous.
1: So, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I've am i been told by my uh, PR guru to increase my social media presence. So oh. I'm trying to do that.
0: We're going to tag you on all of ours, and um, hopefully you can spread the word for 98 Not Out as well. I mean, everyone's aware. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tune in.
1: Tune in to 98 Not Out. Absolutely. The presenter I hear is a man with uh, a wonderful uh, heritage from Guyana. So, yeah. <laughs> Check him
0: out. <laughs> okay, Colin, absolutely fantastic, and uh, many thanks for sparing us the time to talk to us. And uh, thank you. Congratulations on a superb book. And
1: um, much appreciate. Let's, uh, let's catch up again soon. Thank you very much. Thank you.